0: One of the worst feelings you can have for your wallet is to get ripped off. Tune in today, and we're going to make sure you never have to experience that. It's Brian Preston,
1: the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. So, Bo,
0: this topic, here's the thing. I had the team. I think, I don't know where you were. You were, you were doing something else. So, something very productive, I'm sure. Busy being productive. We had a completely different show topic.
1: And we yep. actually put a lot of effort into that original show I, I pretty show much topic. had
0: the show notes, show, show notes for it. Um, it was on celebrity mistakes and mm-hmm. other things. and then. But as, as we started developing the show notes, I was like, I'm not feeling it. It's just not feeling it. So here's what happened. I took this show. Well, I went out to my team here in the mm-hmm. office. And a lot of you guys, when you, you call in or reach out to us, you talked to Gabe, you talked to Carter, you talked to Matt. These are all the people working behind the scene, Carol. And I said, hey, you know what? Let's talk about financial ripoffs. Tell me what are some of the biggest things you think that are out there that sure. people are getting ripped off and not doing a good job with their money. Right. So that's where this list came from. But here's the other thing I wanted to tell you. <clears throat> when I think about financial ripoffs, I have my own personal stories. You know, my very first investment that I ever did Think about 21, 22-year-old Brian Preston, right out of college. I bought a B-share. Now, B-shares, fortunately, have gone extinct. You don't see those. If you have B-shares in your portfolio...
1: Give us a call. You
0: really need to be working on that. But back when um, I started investing... They, you know, no loads were starting to just come on the scene sure. and the commission side of investing decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to come up with this product that looks like a no load, but basically is but ripping off is not the no customer on, on the back. And that was my very first investment. So I have, I still carry that pain of sure. that bad investment. And then I can tell you, love to travel, went on a big trip to Italy in 2002 with my, with my wife. I got to tell you, every city I got financially ripped off. I can remember in (laughs) Venice, they ripped off at least, they at least got an extra 18 euro out of me for the boat ferry, you know, these big barges that carry you around like a taxi or bus. Right. And then I remember in Florence, when we went towards some museum, they ripped me off there. I mean, it seemed like every city I waited to see how I was going to get ripped off. (laughs) And the thing is, every time you get financially ripped off, it sticks with you. Right. I mean, it, it really is something that, that just keeps hanging around. So we wanted to come up, and these aren't little things. Right. I mean, now the B-share is a big thing, mm-hmm. but getting ripped off for, for you know, traveling or abroad, yeah. museum tickets... That's one thing, but to actually see a lot of your hard-earned money that you've really put a lot of effort in saving and building to watch that fly away is, is just painful.
1: And you know, so uh, people always say, you know, one of the best way, one of the best ways to learn is to like do something yourself. I have found personally, uh, I've learned a lot more, and it's been a lot better for me to watch you get ripped off to learn from your (laughs) mistakes than for me to get ripped off myself. And so I feel like what we're going to try to do for you guys today is share some of the things either we've done personally or what I think is even more valuable is things we've seen happen to clients at different stages in life. And hopefully if we can educate you on what those are, we can protect you from some of those same things happening.
0: Now, the financial mutants that listen to the Money Guy show... Here's the thing. A lot of you guys probably already know some of these things. Like sure. I will go ahead and tell you one of the things on here is is timeshares. And a lot of you are like, well, I already know not to buy a timeshare. I don't want you to disappear just because you might already know these things. Here were my three goals that I had when I did the show notes for today. First, I wanted to raise awareness. I already assume a lot of you guys know to avoid these things. But here's the second thing I know. You guys are all the influencers in your tribe. That's Everybody right. that you have in your orbits because they know that you're the one listening to the Money Guy show. You're the one that's out there on YouTube or listening to podcasts. So people look at you to have knowledge. I've tried to go find interesting pieces of nuggets, whether it's a a cool stat, whether it's a foundational thing, whether it's the size of the industry, so that you can stockpile this information and become off as the smartest person in your circle of friends. So tune in for that. And then the last thing we have is the money guy way. We want to make sure you don't make mistakes and you know kind of the best way to put the right foot forward so you don't make sure. these mistakes.
1: If, you, if you're not one of the financial mutants, so you've been with us for years and years and years, this is the Money Guy Show where every episode we try to go beyond common sense and help provide some value to your financial life. Uh, If you haven't, uh, watch this. Right now we are streaming this live on YouTube, so thank you for everyone out there with us live. If you haven't had a chance to do the live thing yet, every other Tuesday night at 445 Central we go live. We'd love for you to be part of it. We're actually going to do a private Q&A session at the end of this show just for those folks answering their questions. And don't forget these. And we're going to be... Uh, there's three mugs here, which means we'll probably give away no less than 13 mugs, depending <laughs> on the questions that we have. So make sure that out on YouTube, you go out and subscribe so you can be part, get notifications. Um, and then another thing you may want to do, Brian, you want to tell them about the exciting big thing we've been working on on the email side? Well, definitely, we, we have these deliverables. If you
0: guys have not subscribed on our email list, you've got to go ahead and sign up. Go to moneyguy.com, give us your email address, because we're going to start having one-of-a-kind deliverables from every show we're doing going forward. And the only way you're going to get that is the following Monday, if we have your email address, we're just going to send it out so you have the template to go download. It, It
1: might be a checklist. It might be a spreadsheet. It might be a PDF. It might be a summary. It's going to be something that either we use for our show notes or for clients. It's going to be a valuable piece of data that you can take with the show, use it, apply it, add value to your life, but you're only going to get it if you're on the email list. So go out there, make sure you subscribe. Uh... And, you know, go like us on Facebook, ask us questions, hashtag ask the Money Guy. Um, I, I got one other housecleaning okay. thing.
0: Fritz from Retirement Manifesto is going to be on. We, remember, we do this show every two weeks. The live show um, is every other Tuesday, except for next Tuesday we're doing a special episode with oh, Fritz right. from Retirement Manifesto. Yep. So September 18th, love to have you join us for the live show. It's going to be really cool to have a collaborator in studio with that's us. Right. So let's jump right into these. Interest on credit cards. So
1: that's, that's that's like ripoff number one. That's like numero uno we, we ripoff. We started heavy
0: on purpose. The average interest rate on credit cards, I pulled this data. This is hot off the press. It's September 5th of 2018, this came from creditcards.com, 16.92%.
1: Okay, so that... The average interest rate on active credit cards out there in the credit card universe is 16.92%. I have
0: built entire shows, and we're talking about building empires, off of investing in the S&P 500 and assuming a modest 10% rate of return. When you compare 16.92% with the credit cards get to what we consider a pretty aggressive rate of return with 10% for the S&P, you can see why you cannot be paying credit card interest. Compounding interest can work against you. So make sure you're not falling prey to that. Here's another stat that I thought was kind of an interesting piece of nugget of information. The average household carries a balance of $5,700 of credit cards. I heard that stat and I was like, well, wait a minute, that's skewed. I don't carry credit card debt. You don't carry carry credit credit card card debt. debt. That's got to be skewing some numbers. So I I dug a little deeper because we're nerdy like that. There's this whole thing. They call people who are carrying credit card. You don't want to be those those type of people. Indebted households. If you take out the 40% of the population that pays their credit card off monthly, you're left with the in, indebted households. That pushes the number up to $9,333. So wow. you can see that really pushes up the number. So And this is, remember, the stat, that 39% of the population can come up with $1,000. The other... Six, you know, sixty-one percent of the population has trouble coming up with thousand dollars. I bet they cannot come up with thousand dollars, and they also are carrying this nine thousand dollars worth of credit card debt.
1: I mean, I just, I should some some quick math on this. If the average credit card debt is nine thousand three hundred thirty-three dollars, and the average interest rate is sixteen point nine two that's like over $1,500 being lost to interest. And so I imagine what you would say, Brian, is, okay, here's the real easy way that you don't get ripped off on credit cards. Don't use them. Don't have them. Just pay cash for everything. Avoid them. Put them in the freezer. Freeze them. That's probably how you avoid paying interest, right? I think if
0: you are a person that cannot pay it off monthly, I would agree with that. Be debt-free. Don't even use credit cards if you have self-control and discipline issues. If you're one of the people that can pay it off monthly... I think you, you just have to be very aware of that. But if you're not paying them off monthly, stay the heck away from credit cards. That, that's the biggest thing out there. So let's Fair move enough. on. Bank fees, including ATM fees.
1: Oh, the, uh, okay, go ahead. Because Here's this, this, another this is, shocker. This is one that drives me nuts. This is one that, that uh, I get really, really uh, heated on.
0: Interesting nugget of information. The average American spent $329 on bank fees in 2017.
1: I feel like that, stat, that statistic ought to say the average American took $329 bills and flushed them straight down the toilet in 2017.
0: Well, and and I, I think it's, once again, another one of those things where I'm not paying those fees, you're not paying those fees, nope. so I think these numbers are even more skewed than what they show. And And here's something that I thought was interesting is that How do you have bank fees? You know, where where are they getting these? They're probably getting them from bounce checks. They're getting them from not keeping a minimum balance.
1: So I think that this this is the money guy way to avoid being ripped off with bank fees. Uh, First off, if you're using an ATM card that doesn't reimburse you for ATM fees, change that. It's just too competitive of a universe out there. You should have an ATM card that no matter where you are in the country, maybe in the world, if you use it, swipe it. And even if there's a three dollar and 25 cent charge, they will reimburse you for that. That's a really easy thing to do. The other thing is understand what type of accounts that you have. If your account has a thousand dollar minimum balance, make sure that part of your emergency fund lives right there to satisfy that thousand. Don't have things that you don't need or that don't make sense. I put, I put on here, uh, it's like having a corded telephone Paying bank fees is a thing of the past.
0: Yeah, I wrote in the show notes that that offended probably everyone over 50, so well done. <laughs> now, let's move on. Guaranteed returns. Now, when I, I, I'm speaking in very broad terms when I, I mention guaranteed returns because there's a lot of things. Guaranteed returns could mean you keep all of your money under your mattress. You keep all of your money in CDs. Mm-hmm. It means you're only buying insurance-based products that have guarantees and, and here's the thing I thought was interesting. When I see any type of product that has a guaranteed rate of return, there's a reason they're marketing off of that guarantee. Is because there's a 2015 Bankrate article I went and pulled. 78% of Americans said they prefer a finan- financial products with guaranteed returns over other options. That sounds great. I mean, yeah. I like guarantees that sound awesome. But here's the problem with guarantees. They're very expensive. And what do I mean by that? And it's multiple layers. It's like a, a layer of an onion. You can peel it, and there's all kind of different parts of what makes these expensive. The first is loss of purchasing power. I grew up in a household where investing in my household was CDs and cash accounts.
1: So basically just cash, staying well, in cash. Here's the, and
0: that sounds good because you're like, well, I can't lose money. 2008, no big deal right. because I've got my money in cash. The problem is, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, you know, that's the government organization that tracks a lot of data, Inflation is averaged since 1913 32 percent a year.
1: So, so since nineteen thirteen, the value of goods, like so, what is inflation? It's the cost of a basket of goods. That value of goods has gone up by about three point two percent every year. It's why on my average.
0: parents were able to buy a house in nineteen seventy eight for sixty grand, that might be worth you know two fifty to right, three hundred right. now. It's not. It's because things just go up in sure. value. The cost of bread, the cost of milk, the cost of cars. The cost of what you get paid in labor and wages goes up over time. But here's the cool part or the part that you need to be aware of. Money loses half of its purchasing power in 22 years based upon that 3.2% inflation rate. So that means you sit on cash and your retirement, realize you retire, especially you guys that are a part of the FIRE movement. Mm-hmm. You retire super early. You still have 30, 40, even 50 years to live off these assets you have to be careful taking out all risk, especially if you have, you know, inflation as sure. a concern.
1: So so what you're saying, it sounds like what you're saying is, so there, there's like investment risk where the value of investments go down. A lot of people want to inoculate themselves from that, but the value, the risk of losing value through purchasing power decreases could actually be even more scary than the value of investment loss. So
0: staying in cash can be risky on its own thing. So the next thing a lot of you are going, well, I don't have to worry about that because I'm actually gonna buy a product like an equity indexed annuity or something, and still go get me a rate of return. But when a product or a company tells you it's going to be a guaranteed rate of return, how can they do that? Here's how they can do it, guys. Here's the here's the the secret formula for how they offer you guarantees. They have to be able to control, they have to take their risk away to be able to offer you this product. And the way they do that is they control your access to the money and they control your behavior. Mm -hmm. If you can do those two things, because what blows up, why can't we give you guarantees? The reason you can't give guarantees is, is because... Nobody knows tomorrow what the stock market's going to do. Nobody knows what it's going to do next month. Nobody knows what it's going to do next year. But if you start looking at a 10-year period, you look at a 15-year period, you look at a 20-year period, man, long term, financial investing is very powerful and very good for those that do it. So an an insurance company, if if they tell you, hey, we're going to take away all of your risk. What they'll do is they might put a 10-year surrender period on there, meaning they're going to control your access to your money by putting huge surrender fees on there for up to 10 years, sometimes 12 years. I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen them go even beyond 10 years. That's right. The other thing is they'll do is that they're going to – that 10-year that period lets them control your behavior. Mm-hmm. You can't sell at the worst time. Just because the market got its teeth kicked in – you're not trying to sell it because they've locked you out of doing any type of emotional that's reaction. Right. The other thing they're doing to, to protect them so they can give you guarantees, they know, you know, when we quote things like the market's going to get you potentially for a 20-year-old, like a 10% rate of return, like the S&P, that's a historical average. But if you go look at the S&P, it doesn't give you 10% in beautiful no. little, <laughs> you know, bowed-off little boxes that are wrapped all nice. You'll see, like... You'll see something like 2013, where the market can make 32%. Yeah. But then you'll see years like 2015, where it maybe only makes 1% That's or 0. Right. 07 and then you'll see years like 2000, where it loses That's over right. 20%. There's all kind of ups and downs. So they know that there's going to be years of outsized performance, and what they'll do to protect themselves is they'll limit your upside potential. You might see a participation rate on these products that give you guarantees where you only get 80% of the upside or you get capped at 7% or 8%. So those years that the market makes 30%, you don't get 30%. You might only get 8%.
1: Oh, and from a common sense standpoint, that that makes sense on how insurance companies can pay for this, right? So. If the market's down 2% and they lock me in where I can't lose money, but the market makes 33% and they get to keep 20-plus of that, it's pretty easy for those to pay for those down years. especially. It definitely covers those down over years. Over the long term, the market's consistently up. It's up more often than it's down if you yeah. just look at it in yearly periods. So that makes a lot of sense. And
0: I'm worried some of you might have just gotten glazed over when I talked about participation rates, when I started talking about how expensive, when I talk about purchasing power and inflation. Whoa, whoa. You start going. So you realize very quickly this stuff is complicated. That's right. And the, the fact that it's complicated means expensive potentially mm-hmm. too because you've got a lot of hands in there, a lot of compliance. Sure pay attention to these things. So how do you avoid, what's the money guy way, Bo?
1: Yeah, so a lot of times we have clients come to us and they say they want a guarantee and they want, you know, and and that's generally associated with like an an insurance type product. And so what we try to do is we want to educate you that there are guarantees and there are high probability outcomes. Uh, And so like a really high probability outcome is that over the long term, if you have a long investment time horizon, it generally goes up. Here's another really high probability outcome. If you make sure you have adequate emergency reserves as a retiree, like 18, 24, 36 months of cash, you can weather most storms. If you look at historically how long a downturn lasts, if you can understand the differences and guarantees and high probability outcomes and understand the costs associated with each, you're going to be set up for success. Education is your friend.
0: Yeah, you don't have to pay that huge premium for protection and peace of mind that I think that that people are, are out there selling. So let's move on. The next thing. Brick-and-mortar savings and money market accounts. This is one of my personal pet peeves. I've even – do you know how many banks we've had to shop relationships with because they don't want to give you any rate of return? We all want the convenience of going to our local bank and being able to have access on those days that we go on an international trip and we need you know, some tip money or you need to change it in for traveler's checks. Does anybody do traveler's checks? I don't even know. I'm sitting here thinking, when is the last time I went to a bank?
1: What's a traveler's? check? I don't check? go to
0: my bank anymore to be. I have a brick and mortar. We go to d- deposit big checks that we get from like four ks that send us.
1: What's checks. a traveler's check?
0: You don't know. It used to be so you wouldn't have to go get currency. You take a traveler's check and like get it to cash at the hotel and stuff, so you wouldn't have to worry about carrying big chunks of cash with you.
1: You really not know what a traveler's check is? Uh, uh, I mean, I've heard of them, but uh,
0: official program observer. Did you ever use a traveler's <laughs> check when you? Because you're my age. You used a traveler's check, didn't you, when you started in your career? <laughs> I can't believe you really don't know what a traveler's check that's is. A fu- Man, that's a foreign thing This shows how the today. world changes. There are people who are watching that know what a traveler's check <laughs> is. Well, we'll keep going. Here's, here's the interesting tidbit, the nugget of information. A 2018 CNBC article that the average savings account at a brick and mortar is 0.19%. If you look at online rates... It's 1.6%. That's an okay. eight-fold difference. And here's the cool thing. If you look at, I know my money market that's still FDIC insured with one of the online banks, it's over 1.8% right. now. So, guys, cash is not trash completely anymore. It's not going, You're not going to retire off this, but it's definitely better than getting 0.19%. So if you're not paying attention to what your traditional local bank is paying you, you could get yourself in some trouble. So I would definitely pay attention to the online banks. I'd pay attention to your local credit union. I've always found credit unions to be much more competitive and sure. wanting to try to get your money and keep you happy with that. So so pay attention to those things. I,
1: I, had, a, I had a fantastic meeting with some clients I love this morning, and we were, we were talking through this, uh, and they have a savings account, and then they also have a checking account. But the way that they do their budgeting, uh, this particular client, they keep a lot of cash in their checking account because it's just what makes them feel comfortable. And I'm like... Well, why do you do you know, why there's some you're missing out on some optimization there? And so, well, I've got my savings, you know, I've got the height I'm doing that, but this just makes me feel comfortable. I said, Okay, well, what's your favorite restaurant? They mentioned a local restaurant here, and I calculated real quick how much that cash sitting in her checking account just automatically could make her and told her that for the next six months, they could go out to eat every month. And the interest would pay for it, would do that. And so the money guy way to avoid being ripped off here is just don't be lazy. Setting up a high-yield account and just thinking through how to fund it appropriately can really add up over the long term. And if you really want your army of dollar bills to work hard for you, you need every soldier working as efficiently as possible. And most,
0: most of these accounts, look, you don't have to close your existing convenient relationship. You're you're basically connecting these online banks together, and then just doing transfers back and forth. And it usually takes three days. That's I mean, right. I think mine takes like three days to transfer the money. In, in back some and some will even
1: go faster. I know that uh, mine was uh, the I took a little hit on the yield for this, but I was able to do 24 uh, hour transfer. So move wow. it today, available tomorrow. That's great.
0: So the next topic of how to get avoid getting ripped off, annuities and IRAs. This is one of my pet peeves, and I read some articles because I was like, maybe I'm missing the point on this. Why first am I calling an annuity and an IRA a ripoff? I assume when I see an annuity and an IRA that somebody sold you this. And the reason I think that is because IRAs already grow tax-deferred. Right. Annuities are marketed off the fact that, hey, guess what? We grow tax-deferred. Now, what they usually don't tell you is that annuities also have what a 1% to 1.5% additional fees because they have mortality expenses. It's an, it's an insurance, insurance product. product. Yeah. There's a lot of hands in there. Remember, when it's complicated, it's expensive. Sure. I mean, that's usually a pretty way of looking at things. So if you've already got tax deferred just because when Congress designed IRAs and retirement accounts like your 401Ks, your 403Bs, their assets, they're already, by the way they were designed and structured by tax and code and law, is that they're growing tax-deferred. Don't go buy an insurance product that's now going to charge you a premium to get the same thing. So I read some articles, and they're saying, no, 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 no. You buy annuities and IRAs because you're trying to limit risk. That's that's okay. That was what they said sure. for suitability or trying to fit into why does this work. So then I started thinking... Look, these are retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. What do you put in retirement accounts? You're putting in assets that you can't touch until you're 59 and a half right. at a minimum. So, if it's if you're 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from retirement, I would ask you to really look at what is your appetite for risk? What are your goals for the future? What is your time horizon? And really reevaluate if it makes sense to have annuities within an IRA. Here's something that I saw, you know, it's probably been a year and a half. You don't see this very often. This is more of an endangered species, kind of like a bee share. You don't see those. Annuities in a Roth IRA. That one breaks my heart, too. That's that's taking it to a whole new level. But I do not (laughs) like annuities in any type of retirement product.
1: And look, here's the deal, guys. We we are not. so naive is to say there's never a situation where you might want to have an annuity inside of an IRA because I'm sure there are some where it just there's a reason that it makes sense. But if you don't, if you are someone who has your IRA statement and you see that you have annuity products in there, and you don't fall into that small segment of the population that you know that you know that you know why, we think that the best way to get a money to get a, a, a way to avoid being ripped off is to get a second opinion. It doesn't mean you have to change anything, but it may be worth talking to somebody other than the person who recommended it or sold it to you. Hey, does this make sense for me? What are my options? Am I outside of surrender? Could I possibly undo this? And at least work through that exercise. Because the only way you're going to know is if you educate yourself. And if you don't know why you have an annuity inside of an IRA, odds are you shouldn't have that structure set up. Or there's a more efficient way to be set up.
0: This next one. I was worried this was going to be somewhat controversial, but I, don't, I, I have a pretty cool stat with this one. is Certain college degrees. I consider certain college degrees to be a ripoff.
1: And a lot of people are like, oof. Well, I don't know where we're going with this you one. Know, so, Everybody but, listening right now in all of our live I said, please don't say my degree. Yeah, please don't well, say I'm not going to give any
0: degrees because I don't want to get in that. But here's a stat that I thought was pretty interesting. The difference between the highest-paying college majors and the lowest-paying college majors over a lifetime of earnings totals 3.4 million dollars guys that's what you need to be financially independent that's that's the guy that's the people that are traveling every quarter and doing these extravagant extravagant vacations and living the life that you're looking up to just off of making the right decision on your major
1: so i want to say the difference in earnings. So, so not the highest paying...
0: That doesn't mean one's at zero and one's at 3.4. Right. That means that you're... The spread. Yeah, there's a huge spread of $3.4 Holy million. Dollars. Like I said, that even though
1: 3.4 million could stand on its own. You, you know it would be so amazing to do, and we should have done this because it's been a great idea. If you thought about somebody who saves 20%, right? Right. Well, let's assume somebody made that and let's average it out over, a, I don't know, 40-year working career. Invest 20% of that in a market. Let it earn, you know, 7 and 8% and see what the actual mathematical value of that pot of money, of additional savings, could that's really nerdy. But that could have been really it. cool. That would have been a really good idea.
0: So here's another thing, because a lot of you are probably going, well, how do you know? Because I have, I have you know, a relative or I even have children that are quickly approaching college or even in college, and I want to make sure we don't make this mistake. Is there some type of rule of thumb guideline that, or benchmark that I could use? I always tell people, think about your first year out of school. What is your anticipated salary or, or income in that first sure. year, your student loan debt should not exceed more than 60% of that first year anticipated salary. Now, that's for undergrad degrees. Sure. I know a lot of you who are out there, if you're doctors, or if you're an attorney's, those have a, a, you know, I still want you to keep that debt minimized. But if you are a typical person that just works off of a four-year, five-year degree, you you know, Keep it at 60% of that sure. first year of salary. You don't want to exceed debt of that because you don't want to be an indentured person. I call you an indentured servant of your student loan debt, and that's a sad, sad place to be, so be very careful with that.
1: Uh, here's what's beautiful in the, the technology day and age in which we live. The, the money got way to avoid being ripped off on your college degree is to do a little bit of research. Uh, what's the return on investment on the degree I want to pursue? Because there are actually some websites out there that have calculated it. Yeah. If you want to be an accountant, this is your ROI. If you want to be a school teacher, this is your ROI. If you, and it's really, really valuable to go see that. And then two, here's another thing, and Brian, I want to give you mad props for thinking through this. The way that you even chose to go into accounting is you said... When I get out of school, I don't want to move back in with mom and dad. And you said that every accounting major that graduated from the University of Georgia had a job lined up. That's huge. So one of the things you should think about when you decide what degree you want to go get is look at the job market. And I might not go pursue a degree in a job market that's going away.
0: True story. I was a finance major in college. Took my first finance class. I made a 97 and I was like, you should not make 97s <laughs> on tests. And then I also noticed everybody graduated with a finance degree. And I'm not – look, it's a great degree from Georgia. But they all became salesmen sure. at Merrill Lynch's yep. and all the places where you had to go become a it's commissioner. just
1: a different career and path.
0: And I, I, I knew I had a baby face and didn't have a lot of business relationships or my parents didn't have money. I was like, this is going to be a failure. Accounting – I loved it in practice. I hated it in school. Is it bad to say no, that? I mean, that's Because I really did. I struggled. It was a hard I'm major. I'm sure there's a
1: lot of a lot of CPAs and accountants are saying amen right
0: now. I mean, but it was. I mean, in practice, I loved working in public accounting, but the school side of it sucked. I mean, and maybe I maybe I should have used softer words than that. But I remember all my friends because junior and senior year, a lot of my friends, I felt like their career, their job, their majors got easier. Sure. I felt like mine got a lot harder. So, uh, you know, the going out and having more fun your junior and senior year wasn't as easy, but that sacrifice definitely set it up because I've watched. You had a point.
1: Well, I was, I was going to say – you go ahead. Say I've watched. Well, i was I
0: was sitting on the couch with the family, and my wife saw an article – um, it was actuaries, I think is number one, mm-hmm. but then she read the top 10. Cause remember I have a freshman in the house now. So we're thinking about trying to plant all the seeds to let her, please don't get that degree. That's going to not make any money in the future. And everything that she read on the top 10 was like engineer math, you know, it was accounting. I mean, it was program, sure. it It was all stuff that was very analytical. And I know that sounds boring, but guys, there's something about trying to figure out how you marry analytics and creativity. That's what we've done with, with The Money Guy.
1: See, and I think that's beautiful because here's what's so wonderful about all of you guys out there listening to the live stream. If you're not listening to this live, think about tuning in on a Tuesday night and joining us because Michael Costa just sent us a question on the stream, and it's so good. I, I know we're going to do a Q&A after, but this is perfect for this, and this is what Michael asked. He said, should you choose your major based on future salary or career happiness? Research shows that it's rare people combine both. And so, like, when you think about talking to your daughter about this and, she, you know, how do you – I mean, I know that gets a little outside the analytics, but that, that should you go where the money is or should you go when the happiness and the Look, fulfillment is? We factor? have talked
0: to doctors that hate being doctors. Sure. But they felt like that's where, you know, they were always expected. So I want you to do what your passion is. And, it, and I have a, I'll tell you, I have a client
1: yeah, that like all
0: this. their kids are super successful, and his thing is he said figure out what you're in the top 5%. In the entire world, and he says, just like you're, if you're a cosmetologist and you're in the top 5% of cosmetologists, you're going to make six figures. Right. I mean, because if you're the best of the best. But I will tell you, there is a balance between choosing the money versus the happiness. because And I don't want to pick on majors, so I'm not going to throw out some specifics, but we can all pick in our brain really quick a major that I don't think you'll ever make more than thirty dollars or $40,000 a year unless you go become – YouTube star or something else like that, you find you hit it big some other sure. way. So be mindful of really what the, you really can make and then keep that 60%. Some of you, maybe you don't have to worry about money, but if you are, there's no safety net for you. There's no, you have to make good financial decisions. You better be paying attention to what the job market can do. And then see if you can marry. Just like I started off in public accounting, I consider that the general business degree of college. Sure. I mean, because Every business, no matter what it is, deals with accounting. You're going to have to know about debits and credits. And I was talking to a business owner just the other day, and I'm still using my accounting knowledge. So I love accounting, and it might not be best, but I guarantee you can use it. So ask yourself, maybe my major won't be fun, but it's going to give me a lot of useful data. Because the thing I try to tell to my daughter is that hard – is good when you're young in some yeah. ways because there's a reason. If everybody can make a million dollars, everybody would make a million dollars. There has to be something that weeds them out, and that's why I chose accounting. Also, is that my junior year that when you took 501, that was the intermediate accounting course.
1: You still remember the call signs Of floor. course,
0: because that was the course when you took it, if you made it through it, you knew you were probably going to graduate because sure. they, they called it a weeder course. You had so many people drop out after that course because it was tough. I mean, you had to test your brain to see if you had the aptitude to make it. And, and that, that's probably enough. I don't want to make people seem like I'm the cold father because this is what my poor daughter, every time we're in the car, <laughs> she's like, oh, God, is he going to give me a life lesson? But pay attention to that. And that's a great question, sure. by the way. That is a Tumblr-type question. Whoa, you're so, not supposed to give them away so, in the so show. Make that's the sure. Q&A. Here, here, at the end of the show, during the Q&A, we will, I want you to send the email to – I'll give the email address at the end of the show for only the Q&A people. But let's move on. Timeshares. shares. We all hear you – know, I mean, I watch TV, and what do you hear commercials for? There's always people, are you stuck with a timeshare mm-hmm. that you want to get out of? Reach out to us, call our 1-800 number. Why are there markets – why Watch are their markets right there markets trying to help you get out of your timeshares? Because I think there's a lot of people
1: its a supply and demand that are thing.
0: being sold yep. timeshares. I mean, you go to resorts. I'm going on a vacation and not too long for an anniversary trip. I know that the resort I'm going to has timeshares on property. Mm-hmm. So I know they're going to probably try to get me to come, and they would give offers, couples, massages, and everything else. Guess what? Not answering their call. I'm going to say no thank you because my time is worth something. But listen to this. The... American Resort Development Association, ARDA, says that the timeshare industry is a $9.2 billion industry.
1: That's billion with a B.
0: Billion. There's a reason these things are out there. Average sales price for a one-week timeshare is approximately $20,940 with an average maintenance fee of $880. Wow.
1: Wow. They're expensive. twenty-one
0: thousand dollars. Remember, most people don't even have thousand dollars, but they're signing up. That's right. for a timeshare. And here's the problems. If you want to know what the issues is with timeshares, is, because you're probably like, "Why is he picking on timeshares?"
1: Well, before we talk about the problems, talk a little bit about why they're appealing. Because I think that's that's an interesting thing. Like, why do people buy into them? Because there's a thought instead. Okay, well, I can own something, and then when I go somewhere, you know, I have a piece of it, and then, but I don't have to buy the whole kit and caboodle. I can just buy a little piece, but I have some ownership interest. I mean, it sells to our emotion right when we travel.
0: How many times have I told you guys, I want you to be good with your money, but there is exceptions for fulfilling things like building memories and travel. Mm -hmm. So they play upon, they know, that you want to have time with your family. You have this, it's this warm, fuzzy, the hair stands up on your arms, thinking about building memories with your family. And what could be better than building memories with loved ones than to have this beautiful resort with all these amenities? And then here's the other thing. What do we love as humans is we love to, to be able to touch something. It's just like if you guys were here, you'd love to touch one of these tumblers because it's right here. It's a product. It's something. It's easy. So when you're walking somebody around a resort, when you're showing them buffets, when you're showing them all the amenities, when you're showing them the pools, it is there. And right. so you can, you can picture yourself in it. It's kind of like the, the Clark Griswold factor from vacation as he's always envisioning himself doing things or swimming in that pool mm-hmm. after he gets his Christmas bonus. That's what they play off of, the emotion of the transaction. But here's the problem. Let me give you some reality. Let's throw the cold water on it, pour out the tumbler on, on, on the dream here. Timeshares rarely appreciate. I mean, like Disney has a decent one, but sure. here's the – I love Disney. I don't have a Disney timeshare, but I always stay in Disney timeshare properties because <laughs> there's a whole market where you can stay on their vacation, you know, for vacation and stay in their sure. awesome resorts. Um, there's also annual maintenance fees. Mm-hmm. There's hard to get rid of. There's a reason they're doing 1-800 numbers telling you, hey, if you want to get out of this, call this number. And then, Bo, I love this one because you added it. Vacation imprisonment.
1: That's the one I think that bothers me the most is whenever you invest in a timeshare, you're going to feel that need that every time you go on vacation, every time you leave, you're going to need to go get your money out of the timeshare. You're going to need to go to that place, go do that. Same thing with like owning rental property. I know that's not what we have listed here, but whenever you own our vacation property, whenever you own vacation property, you don't, you feel like okay I have this week but man I got to go to that thing that I I got to go recoup that cost I got to go be there. You feel almost imprisoned when you go choose a vacation destination. That you
0: do now the the timeshare people will tell you they create networks and do mm-hmm. give you opportunities but sometimes you'll find that the ones you want to go to the newest properties are going to be more expensive than your legacy properties probably still you have more costs sure. come your way. It's funny you say that about secondary vacation property. Our official program observer who's in the room with us today, <laughs> he has been with me. I used to have a beach condo right guess what we used to get now we had blasts. we'd go down there every year and play golf with a group of guys but at least one day of the trip I would have to do maintenance on the on the (laughs) on the condo I mean he was part of that and that's one of the things that I will tell you it is true you do have vacation imprisonment when you own secondary property and I think it's the same thing when you do timeshare so you better make sure that you like it, whether it's vacation property or timeshares. Now,
1: here's a disclaimer. Some people love their timeshare, and they will swear by it. It's been the greatest thing they've ever made. That's awesome. That's great. So here's the money guy way to avoid being ripped off. Do a Venn diagram of pros and cons. List out all the good things and list out all the bad things. You you said a Venn diagram? Yeah. We call
0: those T-charts in accounting, guys. Well, Debits you know, and credits. What's the pros and cons? Keep going, though. Keep going. I
1: like maybe it. Venn, now maybe it's a T-chart. Maybe a Venn diagram, because I don't know what would go I don't know what would go I the I saw middle. this
0: was your note, and I was like, Venn diagram. Is that a T-chart?
1: Maybe Keep do going. a T-chart. Keep do all going. your pros. Do all your cons. <laughs> uh, and then ask yourself why you really want to own it. If it's because you really like going on vacation every year, by all means, go on vacation every year, but ask yourself, do I really need to be an owner of that vacation? Well, do the
0: math. $21,000 up front and then $880 a year maintenance, you do some math on that, and then think about the opportunity cost of what your money could be doing for you. That's the other thing I think. What's funny is I know a financial advisor who – is extremely successful, but he loves going on timeshare presentations and tells everybody he's a shoe salesman. (laughs) I kid you not. This is what he does for fun because he knows the math and he knows the numbers so well that he loves to see how they sell these products and then poking holes Mm -hmm. in them. So they never take into account the opportunity cost of that $21,000 that you're putting into this timeshare. If you were using that money for your army of dollar bills to work for you, could be tr- extremely powerful over that 10, 20-year period. Let's keep moving, though. Cable and satellite TV.
1: Now, Brian, is that...
0: Uh, nobody rip- likes cable and satellite TV. Ripoff
1: is a strong word. No, there is nobody
0: this- out there. I think there's even commercials where nobody is sending Christmas cards to a local <laughs> or even national cable and TV <laughs> provider. I mean, is that, are they? I, I don't think so. I mean, I typically get so annoyed with my cable provider And the fact that, and listen to this here's a stat of why nobody's sending Christmas cards to these people. TV bills have soared 53% since 2007 to average at the end of 2017, $198 a month. Mine wasn't $198, mine was $130 a month. And you're like, well, Brian, at $130 a month, you probably had Showtime, HBO, Cinemax, whatever the other one, premiums. I had none. I had a basic I had a user ID and password for the official program observer. But (laughs) but in reality, seriously, I had nothing, but I had TVs in like four rooms and they charged me for HD in this room. Who's charging for HD? Which cracks me up because I don't think anybody's choosing. I want standard definition. But they're charging for HD. They charge him for every room, charging for every D V R box that you have. There's fee upon fee upon fee. Meanwhile, we did an entire show that you ought to go check out on YouTube TV. That's right. I think that there's a reason Amazon, Google, which owns YouTube, Mm -hmm. and and a few other companies are going to own the world at some point is because they are coming up with disruptive products, and I've been impressed. Now, I will tell you, my friend who put me on YouTube TV sent me a text this weekend saying, NFL on YouTube TV is limited. Spotty. But, But I will tell you, YouTube TV, if you're a Saturday t- football guy like me, I love college football, especially SEC football. Sure. YouTube TV rocks. I mean, it has got everything covered, so it's 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 got you pretty much taken care of. So check it out. I mean, $40 a month versus, you know, you're your at least $100. Now, here's a limit because I've had people when we did this episode, they said, you still have to pay for internet because you mm-hmm. have to have really good That's internet right. in your house. And a lot of times, I will tell you, it's just like, in our office right now, I was just bragging, if anybody watching the live show, you probably heard me asking the official program observers and Morpheus, have you checked out our new download speeds? Because we just upgraded our, our internet here right. in the office, so we didn't crash it with all the live streaming. And here's the crazy thing. I added a $9.95 a month TV package to my business bill, and they lowered the bill $200 a month. Really? It's ridiculous. These bundles, so I will tell you because that was a valid point that our listeners brought up, you have to pay attention to your bundles. So if you are one of these people getting your phone, your cable, as, as well as your landlines, if you have those still, and your internet all in the same place, you probably get you, you have to pay attention to that. So pay attention, you have to add your internet price as well as YouTube TV to see if it's actually legitimate. So here's for the money
1: guy way to avoid being ripped off because what we've recognized is when it comes to cutting the cord, cutting the the cable cord, A lot of people are really nervous about that. They say, oh, no, no, I'm just too used to it. I'm addicted. I've got my show. I'll watch it. You should take a month. This is what we tell folks to do. Audit what you actually use cable television for. If there's a show that you watch, if there's a channel that you're sort of married to, go figure out if there's a streaming service that provides access to that because you might not need to pay for the cable TV package. Uh, And then one of the things we said is keep in mind seasonality of things like If you're an NFL football person, there might be some issues there, something like that.
0: And if you want to, a good trial run I did in my household is I ran both for a few months. Sure. Because I was making sure that – because I didn't want to upset my wife, you know, so it was better to run both for a few months, work on that integration period before I yank the carpet out from underneath the situation. Love it. This next one, here's the cool thing. I get a little shelter on picking on this product is because I I wanted to attribute to one of our local neighbors here. Whole Life Insurance. You know, I don't have to be the bad guy on this one because I used all the data that I was able to go find from Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey's here, our local, one of the local heroes here in the Nashville, Franklin area. That's right. And it's so interesting, you know, because whole life insurance, and here's the thing. I have recommended permanent insurance to some clients in the Mm -hmm. past, so I want you to know there is a place for it. But I will tell you that I think the lion's share of a lot of people that are being sold this product could do better with term insurance. All of my personal life insurance is term life insurance, and I have millions. But here's let's let's look at and this I love how Dave labels this because this is brilliant. This is his this is his label. So send the hate mail to Dave. (laughs) See how I'm hiding behind his 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 skirt right now. Quote: Payday lender of the middle class. That's what he calls whole Whole life life insurance. So you hear that and you're like, wow, that's harsh. But listen, Dave's got stats. $5 $5 versus $100 a month for the same insurance comparing 20-year term versus whole life. That's a 19-time difference for the same coverage.
1: So you can pay $5 a month for term or $100 a month for whole for the same amount of coverage. That's exactly right. You you kick it, your family gets the same amount of money. Same amount of money. So that's
0: that's the part. That's why Dave says with that 19-fold difference, you'd be much better served buying the term insurance and then letting your money work for you outside of the insurance protection.
1: Yeah, but Brian, the the reason people do whole life insurance is because you pay for term, and if you don't die inside that term, that's just wasted money. At least with whole life, you're building up some cash value. It's growing.
0: That's the thing. I chuckle internally a little bit when people pitch insurance as an investment. Because remember, what did I tell you earlier in today's episode? Complexity creates more cost. It's not cheap. You don't get... You know, insurance products, cheap. They just, I don't see many, you know, you see people like TIECREF and Vanguard are starting to, to seep into annuities and other things, but majority of time, especially like whole life insurance, it's not cheap. So here's the rates of returns. This is also coming from Dave Ramsey. The actual rates of return on the different cash value products, listen to this, whole life is average after you pay all the fees. Now they'll quote you something higher in this, but according to Dave, after you take out all the fees and everything else, historically they average around 1%. Wow. Universal life after fees is 4.7%. And he said variable life with mutual funds that they're building into these sub-account-type products is 6%. This is all, like I said, coming from Dave Ramsey. Um, and the reason is because they got heavy fees. Mm-hmm. And the only way – I loved how Dave pointed this out. The only way out is you got to die or you got to take a loan. Neither one of those are super exciting because and we know with Dave when we talk about debt, he's not loving loans. <laughs> so you can imagine. Death or loans – that's not working, so it's not a great great opportunity for you. And
1: so I'll hang over here and try to live on the slightly more PC side and say, okay, whole life, permanent life insurance might make sense in some situations. We're not willing to say that it absolutely never makes sense. So how do you, as a consumer, avoid getting ripped off? We think this is another one of those great places to go get a second opinion. If you're thinking about buying whole life insurance or if you own whole life insurance, maybe it's worth talking to a professional, someone who's not trying to sell you the product, somebody who doesn't have a vested interest in it. Hey, does this make sense for me? Why do I hold this? Is this something that I actually indeed need? And
0: one the, I think this is one of those products that's just getting left behind. I mean, a lot of times I've been managing money and doing investments long enough and talking about risk with clients that, as I told you, I've dealt and I've recommended permanent insurance in the past because in the past we did have estate taxes that kicked in at the 600000 level or a million dollar level. But here's the thing. Right now, estate taxes for an individual is around $11 million. For a married couple, and there's even portability, it's over it's approximately over $22 million and right. in it's indexed for inflation. It's taken away the teeth of that big bad boogeyman of estate taxes. Right. So somebody if your insurance guy is pitching this as a great estate planning thing, Question that because we've had some really big updates in in tax law that that has made that kind of antiquated in in a lot of ways. And now, just like Dave Ramsey said, whole life insurance is the payday loans, the payday lender for the middle class. Let's go ahead and transition to the next category. Let's actually talk about payday Payday loans. loans. (laughs) Now, here's the thing about payday loans I've never been in a payday loan location, but when I was doing show prep, I just wanted to, I did a Google search and just typed in payday loans on Google. Guys, you know what? Because it knows Google knows where you live. No, so it, well no. they did. They, believe me, if you ever want to know your GPS coordinates, because I had to do that for a light fixture. I put these cool light fixtures that one of Kevin that needed told GPS. Me about. Well, yeah, you need to know you putting your your GPS coordinates in this light fi- in the in the switch, and you never have to adjust for daylight savings time. You know, it knows where when day when it's dark and when it's light so that you can use that as a timer.
1: That's big brother. Story.
0: You know how you find out your GPS location, your coordinates for longitude and latitude? Go on Google and type in, hey, what's my longitude and latitude? Google knows where you are. So it's one of those things, since Google knows where you are, when you type in payday loans on Google, there will be like two or three pages of all the local vendors. We live in what's considered a pretty affluent marketplace. Right? Wouldn't you agree that we live in one of the yeah, nicer parts of the country? Bo, there are pages of payday loan lenders. They're everywhere. And you're like, well, how can there be so many payday loan lenders out there? And why is this so bad? The reason there can be so many is because this is extremely profitable. These guys make credit card companies look charitable. Do you know how hard it is? The average, I told you. Average credit to,
1: card interest rate is sixteen point nine two percent. Sixteen
0: point nine. Sixteen point nine two percent seems charitable to charge you that compared to a payday lender. Because guess what? Every time you go to a payday lender, their finance charge is typically fifteen to thirty percent. Now you're like, is that fifteen to thirty percent annualized? No, that's fifteen to thirty percent is the charge. If you actually look at sometimes, because a lot of people will actually extend these loans out, they will they will essentially take an extension on these loans. You can push your APR, your annualized, you know, per, percentage rate that you're being charged. It can be over hundred percent if you're running because if you let that it just keep time. carrying out yeah, long term. I mean, it is. These are not good products. So be very careful. I mean, Bo, you said it best when we were doing show note prep. Cash reserves that's is it. your best friend. Exactly you, you've right. heard that this whole industry is built off that 61% of Americans that can't get their hands on $1,000. That is so sad. Make sure that's not you.
1: Yeah, you know, if, if, if you find yourself in a situation where you have to go get a payday loan or a tax refund advance, we get it. Life happens. We understand. But you really, really ought to go back and evaluate your cash reserves, where they're at and how you're prioritizing financial order of operations. If you haven't gone to go listen to that, go listen to that show. you got to go back to step number one so you don't have to do this kind of stuff. Let's do our last topic. This one, I felt
0: a little guilty for picking on this one. Lottery tickets.
1: Oh, don't say it ain't so. So
0: here's what you need to know. Bo and I are both from the state of Georgia. That's right. Hope, baby. Hope. Hope. you want to get somebody excited in the state of Georgia, ask them if they got hope. Hope Scholarship, and it's been copied in other, in other communities That's as right. well. And I think it's actually running into some financial issues in Georgia where they've limited it to mm-hmm. a degree. But when I went through school, it came in. Now, it did not exist completely my entire four years. But y'all should know, all of my tuition, a lot of my college was paid for through Hope Scholarship my junior and senior year. <laughs> the official program observer also, is raising his hands because he, he was also, his college was also paid for Hope was from also Hope Scholarship. Contributor to mine Did as well. it pay for yours oh, as yeah. well? Uh, yep. it, it's the thing is, you kept a good GPA in the state of Georgia. Lottery ticket sales paid for your college education. Sure. It didn't even matter if your parents – what was funny, I knew guys in college that their parents – it's not means-tested. Sure. The parents were rocking and rolling – Still on hope, right. and that's you know in some ways that's really cool because you know it just means you as a student had to be really good with your money, but the thing is it was funded through lottery tickets. And,
1: and so what I'm sitting here thinking is, wow, if the lottery can support that many students, it must have a whole lot of money running through it, right? It does have a, and so the first thing you hear is okay, it's a, it's a tax
0: on the poor. So I want to dig deeper. Sure. I want you guys to be educated so that when you're talking to your peers, you know some data. So what does the typical lottery purchaser look like? They actually have income between $36,000 to $89,999. So it's, it's, the, it's, it's actually a bigger mm-hmm. population. It's, that's yeah. the biggest group of lottery buyers is between thirty-six dollars and a little under $90,000. So you see that and you're like, that's not that bad. But here's why it is a tax on the poor. Because listen to this stat. Those in the bottom fifth of income spent the most on lottery tickets. They averaged spending $433 a year versus the other subsectors were $193 a year. Wow. So you see that? That's a hope and a dream on a lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. But here's the part that I think that they're not aware of. One of my favorite exercises when I was in high school math, I still remember this. I had Coach Boyd, and I think it was either was it my sophomore year or junior year, trigonometry, we did the calculation of the lottery and trigonometry we we actually went through the exponents and figured out what the odds were and i went and, fortunately you have google now where you can just type it in if you want to know what the sobering stat is of what's your chance of winning powerball it's 1 in 292 million guys that's about the population for the united states <laughs> So I, mean, that's really, that's right. like 300 million I mean, you think about that. We're not, I mean, if you think about NBA quality talent of, or M major league baseball, you know, we talk sure. about how really
1: rare that is That
0: rare. It is to be that level of talent that you can play professional sports. We think of how rare it is to get hit by lightning. Mm-hmm. And then you see the stat of one in 292 million is your odds of winning Powerball guys. Lottery is not a retirement plan. That's right. It just is not something you want to do. If your annual expenditures is more than twenty dollars for lottery tickets, you're spending too much. I will tell you how I do lottery tickets. And remember, I don't think will they'll ever get their money out of me because I got the Hope Scholarship <laughs> paid for my college. Whenever that Powerball gets up really big, we'll do a pool or something, sure. we'll put a dollar yep. in there or two dollars. I can't remember what Powerball costs. That's how little I do. I couldn't remember if it was a dollar or two by two dollars. But I use it as just kind of a dream. What would you do? Would you come back to work? You know, would you go take a trip around the world? It's fun to daydream. You can get a dollar, two dollars worth of entertainment of what is. It's it's kind of a, a really excessive way to do vision planning of what you'd do if you came into a windfall. But that's it. Don't don't do any. You're not doing this every day to try to cover your retirement. I was always amazed. I at I worked at Delta in college. I was on the I was on the ramp doing luggage and stuff one of the summers. And I was amazed at how many people were paying the pick threes and all the different lotteries. I think they really were looking at this as their retirement plan. You know, I think
1: I glazed over this a little bit in uh, in the show notes. But, you know, that stat that those in the bottom fifth of income earners spent $433 a year on average in the Mm -hmm. lottery. I'm just sitting here thinking about, man, if they could just go listen to our Uh, Wealth by the Generations episode. And if instead of taking that $433 and going to buy lottery tickets, you just took that and bought the S&P 500 every single year, $433. Target retirement fund. Target retirement fund. you just did that. It's amazing what that can do over a working career. It's amazing what that can do over the long term. So we think that the money guy way to avoid getting ripped off is to, instead of waiting to win the lottery – start letting your army of dollar bills work for you, uh, and you're going to have that lottery-esque retirement where you can do the things you want to do, when you want to do them, the way that you want to do them, without having to get lucky. Dedication and hard work can get you there, and that's a much, much, much higher probability outcome than playing the pick three or the Powerball.
0: Great way to close the show, Bo. Every dollar you have, is valuable for your army of dollar bills. We want to get you to quit working with your arms, your backs, your hands, your brain, unless you really want to. We want to give you the option to have the choice to do whatever you want to, build true financial independence. You do that by not getting financially ripped off. That's right. It's one of those things. Pay attention to what you're doing with your money. Make sure you're being efficient with it. And a lot of you probably listen to this, and especially when I was talking about complicated financial products. You're like, wait a minute, is that me? Is that, Am I falling victim to this? You're probably wondering, I wish I could have a second opinion. Somebody look at my situation. and you're, or Others of you are listening and like, that was great free advice. I can't believe they give this away for free. And it's true. We do give you all this free information. And the only thing we ask is that if you like what we're sharing, you get to that point of success that you'd like to get a second opinion or get somebody to look over your shoulder and tell you if you're doing a good job, come check us out. That's all. If you want to repay us, come check us out and check us out at either moneyguy.com aboundwealth.com. We have contact us pages. Love to hear from you because guys, this started out as a passion project where I was just trying to fill a void of people who weren't getting good objective advice. My goal is give it away, let you come back after you've been successful. I also want to mention, thank you for everybody who's hanging in on the live streaming. We're about to do the Q and A. We're about to give away some tumblers.
1: Q and A is about to be. All, I'm like I'm looking through some of these questions. One, we have tons of questions. We're gonna we're gonna have to cap this, but they are some really really good ones. So if you're out there listening and you're not part of the live stream, this Q and A is going to be incredible. And the only way to get that information is to be part of the live stream. So by all means, join us on a Tuesday night.
0: If you're thinking about retiring in the next five years. You've got to check out our show that we're recording next week live with Fritz from Retirement Manifesto. I think you're going to get it because that's exactly what the, he has lived and experienced, and we're going to be walking through that situation. But definitely subscribe to us, guys. I don't care whether it's Stitcher, whether it's you know iTunes, Podcast, Google. We've got more and more people coming through the podcast. Sure. And then, of course, I want to talk to you about YouTube. Please subscribe. Love to hear from you guys, connect with you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Brian Preston.
1: The Money Guy Podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy Podcast.